Well, welcome to the 24th episode of the Burris Law Life and Friends podcast. I'm Jason Burris, your host, and today I've got a very special guest, my good buddy, Kevin Fowler. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? It's been a busy few months. So yeah? Hanging in, hanging on, trying to juggle all the balls that is known as life. That's so, awesome. Busy, busy, and trying to get, to get some new music started and ready to get it going. And I, I got really lazy after COVID, I have to be honest with you. And we got... I had about six months off there, and I kind of got this is nice not being on the go nonstop. So kind of got lazy for a bit. So I know. trying to get back on the back on the chain gang, get some new record out there. We didn't slow down touring wise. I just haven't put out a lot of music. Just yeah. been kind of lazy. Well, it's funny because you and I have known each other for a few years now, and I've kind of become good buddy or buddies All with right. your some of your bandmates and your manager and stuff like that. And they'll say, I mean, we'll we'll just. First of all, the one thing I hear about you, which I think is super cool, your band members to a person and your manager and your marketing team, everybody that's with you, they all talk about what a good guy you are and what a good boss you are. So they, they, get, to they you. get paid to say they that. They get paid to say that. <laughs> but the other thing that they'll say is like, we got to get him in the studio. He's got to start yeah. writing and, yeah. and all the stuff. So I think I was just, just kind of... We went so hard for so long. It was about 24 years there. It was nonstop. You know, there was, it was just work, 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 you know. And I couldn't figure out how to get out of that cycle, you know, just a nonstop go, go, go. And um, COVID kind of forced us to stop for a minute, you know. And so now it's just time to get back into it, you know. I think everybody kind of, I see that a lot of people's careers, you know, it's hard to be that prolific, you know. We just keep churning out records, you know. We did. 11 records in that time frame so it was a lot but well, yeah, just, and you gotta art's one of those kind of things you gotta it's really hard to force yourself to do it until you're ready mentally to do it you know it's kind of like oh, let's be creative creative today between two and four it's like hmm okay yeah you know so it, it, it's uh, yeah it's time we actually had a big call yesterday big planning well, now we're gonna roll up this new record when the music timelines and all that stuff so trying to and I work good on deadlines, so that'll get me going again. That's what I've heard. Darren mentioned your your. I gotta have deadlines. Your manager said something <laughs> about you know we just need to put a deadline on him. Um, by the way, I always come up with kind of a list of things to talk about. I don't want you to feel like it's an interview. We'll go back and forth and talk about whatever. But I hardly ever even look at this once I once I get it because it just goes it goes wherever. But. Um, you know, like some artists, like like Willie, like puts out a ton of albums. Like I don't know if you call them albums anymore, but it's just like it seems like every year. But and I guess he writes or used to write a lot of stuff. Like, what percentage of the stuff that you put out did you write or co-write? Uh, probably other than just a few songs. You know, uh, I'm trying to think if I ever had a single other than Pound Sign that I didn't write. It, probably ninety percent at least. You know. And pounds in the early like, years, you know, and everybody told, I should just go back and start writing by yourself again. Because most of the hit songs we play at night, that's fan favorites, 100% text and beer bait and ammo, Lord I Was Drinking Man, all the early hits that we still play this day that we still make a living with, I wrote by myself, you know. And then in about uh, 2004 or so, uh, I got a manager and he was really into co-writing. He started booking me with co-writes and I started enjoying that. So I got more into that. The good thing about co-writing is is you say, well, we're going to write next Monday. It makes you stop. 
tell the world, don't call me. I'm going to be writing on Monday with my buddy, you know. It's always good to go write in Nashville, too, for me, because um, first off, there's a wealth of incredible songwriters there, but also it gets you away from home. Where you, at home, you know, you're always something, the dishwasher's breaking or <laughs> kids need this or that, you know. So when I get to go to Nashville, it really helps me say, separate and let's get in that creative mode instead of nonstop everyday mode. So when you go there, do you stay with a buddy? Where do you? Yeah, sometimes. I usually just get a room downtown. Okay. I mean, the whole industry kind of operates out of Music Row area, you know, and all the, everybody rides down there and all the bars and restaurants down there, all the music people, you know, and you kind know, of know everybody. So, so you just stay down there. There's a, there's a great synergy down there in that, that area of town, you know, especially um, you know, back in the day when there was a million songwriters and you know, the world's best were there. You know, songwriters, it's really hard to make a living as a songwriter right now because the way, you know, you know, radio play, is, you know, used to be, used to be money off radio play now, kind of a lot of songwriters have a hard time figuring out how to make a living. So there's not as many staff writers that used to be in Nashville. There used to be tons and tons and tons of them. You know, a couple thousand now. I hear there's just a few hundred now. Is there someone in Nashville that you would love to have a chance to write with? Oh, Lordy. I've been very lucky to write with, to put together a great little stable of writers that I like working with. Or guys like me, a lot of them are Texas boys, Oklahoma guys. and Such as? Guys from all around. I write a lot with uh, Trent Woman and uh, David Lee Murphy. I used to write with him on every record. He's just, we grooved, he, rec- he produced uh what record he produced? Oh, I can't think of the name of the record. I'm gonna pounce out on that So many records, I can't remember the names of all of them. But well, he and he but, had um, some hits too. Oh yeah, same, yeah. Dust on the Bottle. Yeah, and, big hit. You know all the stuff. But he's written tons of hundreds of hits. You know, you know, Big Green Tractor. That you name it, goes on and on and on. All, all the hits he's written, and and so he's right with him a lot. He's he's really good. He's he's a total professional. You know, it's kind of like when you're playing tennis. You always try to play tennis with players that are better than you. Or pickleball. Or pickleball. <laughs> We're going to do that one of these days. So when I'm writing with writers, I usually try to write guys that are stronger lyrically than I am because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good melody guy, but I'm, I'm always the best lyricist, you know. Are so, you a better writer today than you were 15, 20 years ago? Uh, I would think, I would hope so. I would hope so, you know. And, and I like... I like the way old Kevin used to write, you know, he just didn't give a damn about anything. He just, you know, he just wrote whatever you liked, you know. And now as you get further along in your career, you feel like, all right, what does the industry want? What does Texas music want from me now? What does Texas radio want? Now what is, you know, what's the new Red Dirt? So what, you know, how do you stay relevant? You bubble all these, back then you just wrote, big, you know, you didn't have 10 guys on full-time payroll and you didn't have all these people expecting you keep them employed and keep them moving down the road. Right. Keep their kids eating. Um, so, you know, you kind of, it's still like you can really, oh, almost everybody, you know, gets that way. I think you get the pressures later on, you know, now I built this and how to keep it going. So you, you got to try to, I wish, I wish I'd go back to that guy that just wrote whatever the hell he wanted to. Right, right. But now I always catch myself going, oh, well, you know, I don't know if we're going to streams on that one. Is that going to hook up virally online? Is that going to, you know, and it's totally different now playing field than when I started, you know, back in the class, I call it the class of 2000, like me and Pat Green and Charlie Robinson, Jack Ingram, that whole group, you know, back when we started, um, you know, it was a whole different world, you know, we went out and just worked radio stations all nonstop, 
you know, and that's gone. You know, the old days of kissing radio ass is over. Now it's all online, and it's just a different, whole different, different ball game than what it was. Yeah. So it's a different, it's a whole different business. And plus, back then, I remember when we started going like 98, 99, 2000, You know, I was always trying to get Pat. Everybody had mailing lists, email lists. You know, say, like, "Hey man, why don't you share your mailing list?" <laughs> you know, that's how you really, you know, how far it's come in my career from when I first started when it was Kinkos was the only tool you really had you make flyers and try to get people to come out to your shows and now look at the kids now they I mean, guys I mean the, the world's your oyster you know back then the gatekeepers that kept you away from the fans you had the industry and you had you had the labels and the industry and you had radio and you know there was this huge barrier between us and the public and now if you have good music there's guys on the radio I mean look at all of me like just, just they Cody Jinks even he's from he's a good example from here, you know, never had any radio, sells out arenas, Co Wessels, another one, no radio. You know, killing the, there's ways now you can do it without radio. And so, and Cody so, Jinks, um, and I still I, I couldn't name you one song other than there's a Daryl Dodd song that I think he does, but he did a lot of stuff on um, promoting on Facebook. Like he, his stuff would show up on my social media feed and it was click here. And oh, yeah. I, I thought he weaponized social media about as well as anyone. Yeah. And all of them do, all the young kids do. And old farts like me, we, <laughs> yeah. so back well, to the social media, back to the songwriting, um, Ray Wiley Hubbard and probably a, a lot of others have, have talked about, you know, when you, when you do write a song, be ready to have to sing it for the next he actually told 40 me that. years. <laughs> he actually told me that when I was emo, and I was talking about Brimbit Demo and up against the wall, Red Ink Mother. He's yeah. like, Kevin, you got to be really careful what you write because you may have to play it a really long time. Yeah, because I've heard that he doesn't really think it's one of his best songs, a three-chord song, not even a minor. But then he talks about that twice a year he go out to the mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it feels pretty good. Yeah. So, you know. It's, Any song you don't, any song you wish you didn't have to play? I love them all, you know, but this one kind of comes to mind is Beer Bent Ammo. You know, I almost didn't cut it because I thought it was so stupid. And there was a <laughs> radio station guy there in, in Austin, Chris Knight. And uh, he was program director of this little independence. Another Chris Knight. Another Chris, Chris Knight, okay. Not our Chris Knight today. But um, he, uh, he was like, that's your, that's your single, you know? And that's so why I went and cut it. And then, we were going to speak of the devil's going to be our lead single off that or hundred percent Texan. And he's like, dude, I'm going to play beer bite Nemo. So he literally started playing beer biting and beer bite Nemo on his, on his station. And, uh, <clears throat> biggest show here in town, Hawkeye, the Dorsey, the Dorsey gang, yeah. you know, Terry Dorsey and Hawkeye, they had the morning show, big KSCS here in town. And he would have to be in, in Austin for a softball tournament. And he heard beer bite Nemo and he went down to, Waterloo Records there in town and bought the CD and started playing Beerbait and Ammo on their morning show that Monday morning. And they played it every morning at like eight or something. And from that one thing, though, my whole career launched from that. I mean, Beerbait and Ammo, you know, I was just wanting to sell a thousand copies of that record so that we could break even to pay off all the credit cards I'd maxed out to make it, you know, and, and we ended up selling like 150,000 units of it. You know, most of those are awesome. They were cash, you know. It's like you could print them and then you go put them in stores. 
think I don't even know those. Do not things. listen to this part, IRS. <laughs> Do not listen. <laughs> Just cut. No. But but that was really, that was the glory days of uh, you know that was the CDs were king, you know. And, right. And then a few years later, Napster started started getting into the business of you know making music more public, more you know accessible, I guess, to share any. Yeah, just from that little, I got sidetracked there, but from that one little thing with Hawkeye, having to hear the song, having to think it was awesome. Played on the Dorsey Gang. You know, the, they were the top-rated morning show in the state at the time. And from that, the phone started ringing. And and normally you would spend thousands, even today, if I put out a single, just working at a Texas radio or Red Dirt radio, I'll spend thousands of dollars. We spent $250 to promote Beerman Ammo. And that was just to make... 50 CDs and mail it to 50 stations. And that song still is not up against the wall. So if you don't catch that break. My redneck mother. Yeah. If you don't catch that break and it doesn't happen, what what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't leading the band? I'd also be playing music. I would just probably be doing it on a different level, you know. It's, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'd get, what if? It's hard yeah. to tell, but... Right. but uh, we well, had a career, lucky, you know? yeah. and also we had some bad luck along the way. You know, things like yeah. there, and then from that we started getting record deals. And every time I would get the record label, they would they would go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> so far as if Walt Disney signed me to Lyric Street, you know, and that was they were the biggest. They had Rascal Flats and Shadaisy and all these bands at the time. You know, and I look back on all these record label decisions I made along the way, and given the same set of facts, I would make those same decisions today. You know, I look back. You know, first we all did this big deal called um, uh, Wholesale Houston. You know, they went south and took a lot of our money. They went bankrupt, took a lot of our money with them. And then uh, then I signed with Clint Black's label, Equity, okay. which was a no-brainer. Clint was there, and yeah. he was top of the world. And they'd hired a great staff, and, you know, it was us in Little Big Town and and Clint. That was, that was the three artists they, they launched with. And uh, I look back and I go, oh, that turned out just went bankrupt to a belly up. But I look back and then when we finally signed with Walt Disney with Lyric Street, you know, that was a no brainer. You know, they were going to put a million dollars on Kevin Fowler to get him going. You know, so I look back and all those are good decisions, but none of them ever parlayed into what I wanted them to. But then again, all the, a lot of my friends at the same time that had big hits are now working at Home Depot. Because you know, they, didn't, they weren't lucky enough to be on the road 200 days a year building a core fan base that we still play to today. That's one good thing about our scene that we have here. If you if you get made, <laughs> if you get get in the door, you know, get established, you can you can play these bars so you die. I mean, I always tell everybody that I'm just wanting to be the next Gary P. Nunn. I just <laughs> want to be the the old guy who can still make a living playing music at 70. You know. And he definitely does, and he still puts some great shows, and he has all those classic songs, you know, that you want to go to the dance hall and sing. Well, you got 28 years till you turn 70, so you're... Yeah, you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rounding down now. So you, you you grew up in Amarillo. Were you born and raised there, or just grew up? Yeah, my parents, uh, my mom just had her 80th birthday, my dad's 82. They still live in the same house that they bought when they got married in 1962. They've been married for 60... One years now, sixty-two. So then, they're they're still kicking and and then they still they, they like most people in Emerald they don't do change very well. You know? Yeah, 
So did your mom or dad get you into piano? My mom, actually. My mom was all those mom that always pushed, pushed, pushed us to try everything. Try art. Try this. Try that. Try that. You know? And uh, my mom wanted me to take piano. And my parents never, you know, either one of them made a lot of money. So my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. They couldn't afford to give me piano lessons. So she would clean the piano lesson, piano teacher's house, in exchange for piano lessons. So, uh, and so looking back, it paid off pretty good, you know, piano lessons. My dad um, was also very supportive of the music thing, and I just took to it. You know, I was I was the band geek from junior high orchestra and band to marching band. And At some point, you, know, you figured out that the guy with the guitar gets the girls, and you switch from piano. Originally, you were the band geek, and you didn't get any girls. Now, then, kind of flip-flopped. Yeah. So when you start playing guitar? I started writing a song, before I get back to that real quick before we get off that, but I wrote a song called The Cool Kids. You know, and so, actually, you were at this show. Was I? <laughs> you were at this show. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if we get any names, but a bunch of high school jocks that would never talk to me at high school came up to the show where we played downtown, the high rise place. I won't put it in my, I don't really know. <laughs> I, the song I think I remember with these this. Jocks I think, that would never talk to me at high school. Yeah. Come, and they were like, oh, you know, I was like, you had never even said hi to me in high school. Why do you Yeah, I remember this. So show. we're back in the green room. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, won't use any names. Now it's all coming yeah. back. But Kevin leans over at some point and he goes, you see this guy and how close they are and they're hugging me and all this stuff. Yeah, and you were there. like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, they didn't have anything to do with me in high school. Now they're acting like we're all best friends. And so, so the song's called Who's a Cool Kid Now? <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny about, you know, the cool kids, you know, yeah. taking on other guys. And it's a really fun song. The band's dying to put it in the set, and you know, that was, that's that's it, you know. No, no names mentioned. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, when did you start? I mean, I know you went to the Guitar Institute out in California, Los Angeles, but when did you? Yeah. When did you pick it up? I, I really got serious about it when I was. I went, when I was twenty-one. I was already going to, you know, I had a band all in high school and. So I played guitar a little bit. My, in eighth grade, my dad bought me this, this acoustic guitar that I still have today, which actually the guitar should be bronze. Because I wrote all the, it was $179, $200, I think my dad said, out the door, this old Alvarez guitar. And uh, I kept it around, only acoustic. So I was really got heavy to writing. I started writing on that Alvarez. And I still got it. So he bought it for me in 80. So whatever that makes it, guitar 40-something years old. But I wrote all the songs on there, the Beerman Ammo record on there, the Hound the Hog record on there, um, most of the Blue Side and Crazy on it, you know. So I'm saying I need to get some more mojo off that guitar. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, yeah, why don't you guys know? I got a sidetracked you, but that's all right. Um, so you you go out to California. Oh yeah. Specific reason was to get better on the guitar. Yeah, so I, so I really got a heavy guitar when I was because I was really in hair metal. I loved all of them. So you were the Rock lead guitarist anyway. for Dangerous Toys. Yeah, I was just true. Yeah, there were two lead guitar players, and I would just played with them for like a year. I was a hard gun in that that thing. But like and, Darren says that you were then, like you could. I used to shred. shred. I used to get, and then I kind of got so heavily into songwriting that it's kind of use it or lose it, and I didn't have the passion for it. And once I started my own band, I mean, when you first start a band, you were everything from. You're the songwriter, you're the financier, you're the bus driver, you're the mechanic, you're the booking agent, you're the manager, you're the everything, you know. You, so, uh, and I kind of, 
got more or less out of guitar playing more into the songwriting end of it and which is a good a good trade because because uh, songwriters always a guy that can stay employed who's your Paul English who makes sure you're protected and makes sure that you get the money who's that guy in the band oh Darren's been with me since 02 and he and I grew up in Amarillo together you know, knew him and and in high school, I went and saw a buddy of mine play drums in a band and went and saw this band. They were called Warrior. Warrior! And uh, Darren was a singer in that band. And so years later, I realized, you're that dude. And so, but Darren was a guy in town that ran band, sound for all the bands okay. and recorded. I had a little studio there, the, you know, kind of the audio guy. And then I moved down here and, and toys need, they just always needed a sound man. So, hey, Come up, go on the road to Toys for a better sound man, and that got him to Austin, and and about then my my thanks are rolling, so he so run house sound for us, so he does house sound front of house, and he does um, tour managing. Got it. And tour manager is really just a nice word for babysitter, especially the younger years when it's all moody and you're out there, ah. mm-hmm. and the tour manager's got to be the mother hen, keep everybody. So some friends, and some, yeah, some friends and fans gave me some questions that like they really want to know the answer to. The, and, and and one of them is, when, what year did people start to recognize you in like grocery stores, restaurants, things of that nature? Um, in the early two thousands, you know, when this whole the red dirt scene as we knew it then, you know, okay, really started. To, whew, what was know, that like? You know, like? Me talking to me? Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, it was it was pretty bizarre, and it was. But it's, uh, also, it had, we have we have a great fame of the Red Dirt thing. You know, we have our own. It's a great degree of fame. It's not like you know, you're Jessica Simpson or, or right. one of the. We were talking about her yesterday, <laughs> or Britney Spears. You're a huge. You know, you're Garth Brooks. You can still have a life, but it's comfortable fame. You know, like you know, people. Hey, come. Or she was saying, hey. Take a picture, you know, not like those guys can't even function, right? You know, and so, so it's always been I've never had any problem with it at all, and you know, it's nice. So, you've never been and on, I wish that- I was better at remembering people because I meet so <laughs> many people that I'll be, it takes me like four, five, six times to meet somebody before I, they finally get in my I call it my middle Rolodex before I get them logged in. Okay, like, oh, okay. You're the dude. So then, so so I think you do a good job of pretending them because yeah, I, was, I was talking to people and I said the one thing about him is he seems to really remember people when he meets them. And I I was I told the story about I guess you were committing names to memory because I've I've been next to no, you and you've been know, seeing people that act like you know everybody. Okay, and me, just, me and Janice, my fiance, <laughs> we have this system that if somebody comes up and I go, "Have you met my fiance?" and I don't tell them her name. Their name, her her goal is to get their name. Yeah. My wife <laughs> hey, and I have that system too. Oh, how do you know Kevin? Yeah. What's yeah. your name? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm soaking all this in and acting like I knew it all. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you always need a wife or significant other to help you with that. Well, that is for sure. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears. I'm gonna read you something that you wrote or your team wrote on your social media. Okay? okay. This is a couple years ago. Actually, it was last year. We got a call last week from some of the staff at University Children's Hospital in San Antonio. They told us about one of their patients, Maya Zamora. Maya was seriously injured in the Uvalde uh, school shooting. She's in the hospital recovering from multiple bullet wounds. They told us that she's a big 
a Kevin Fowler fan, and her family had planned to come see us play this weekend before the shooting occurred. She was very sad that she couldn't attend. The hospital staff asked if there was any way we could come by and surprise her, and then there were some pictures, and you were there. Man, that experience that was, like that, that had was to be insane. profound. And, and that was just shortly after the shooting. You know, it was just uh, maybe a month or so after. Well, the 4th of July, and I think that happened in May. And uh, we are playing there for 4th of July, and so we went up and Hung out with it for a while. It's just really cool, but yeah, it it, was, it really brought it home. You know, you see stuff on the news and you go, "Yeah, something bad happened." Maybe I'll be, you know, it's like you hear about this stuff all the time. But when you see this little girl; she had nine bullet wounds. I think it was one through her arm, one where she held her hand up like this and shot through her hand. You know, that reconstruct her hand. She had one through her torso, and she was just shot all up. And it's like you know, it's like really insane, and. Uh, we were there, she started talking about the events that day, and everybody in there like got really quiet. And so she's never opened up about this until you until you got here. Some some reason now she feels comfortable and she started just asking about the questions about that day. And so everybody in there is like crying. I'm going, Well, this is this is heavy. <laughs> it's pretty special yeah. though, when you can make that and, kind of an impact on someone. And so it was really, really wild. But yeah, I've stayed in touch with the family and and I heard her mom actually it was on national news last week and um, talking about the year, the year anniversary of it. So, yeah, it 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 it's real, you know. And just like uh, I was thinking about this morning, me and Charlie Robinson, he's playing tonight with us. And uh, I think about maybe oh seven or eight, he and I went ten days in Iraq. Probably the last time both of us were sober for ten days. <laughs> we get over there and they're like. Um, sorry, guys. There's no beer, alcohol, anything allowed in the country. So, yeah. Yeah, we're just going to see bait and ammo tonight. <laughs> so we had a, had a really good time. We did, we did, I think, a ten bases in ten days, something like that. It was just nonstop. Let's Every day you come in, go to the hospital, meet some guys, you know, shake some hands, thank some guys, do the show, you know, and, and you know. Every day we do these combat landings down into the, because you couldn't just come in low because they <laughs> shoot you. See, these combat landings over, they call them over the, it's like a horrible corkscrew coming into the bases. Every day I'm like, oh. Charlie's loving it. Yeah. I remember one day they were, they were mortar fire was coming in. They had these fences and shooting down there. Everybody get down, getting these, they these like culverts. Look, and Charlie stems off the culvert and he's filming, <laughs> filming the artillery coming in. Yeah. It was a fun trip, so we got to see a lot of cool stuff and meet a lot of cool people, and that kind of goes just right along with that whole meeting Miles and and her family. You know, that was a really opening trip. You know, we were sure. we were in a truck room. Mind you, what I mean, what place we're in, but there's like these sirens starts going off. Everybody's hollering, and the copters are coming in, and they're bringing guys in on gurneys. They've just been shot up. And right by us, it's like sort of right out of mash. And we're both like, yeah. And it's just right there. They stand back, stand back, stand back. And they're pulling them off these copters and wheeling by. And they're moaning and groaning. It's like, wow. It's heavy. And that's just like, you see stuff like that. Now it's not just on the news. Now it's <laughs> it's personal. It's right here in your face. Yes, it is. We just had it happen here in, in Allen a few weeks yeah. ago. It was just crazy. And yeah. we went one day, I'll never forget it. I'll tell people this story, but we were over there. We went to one of those hospitals one day, and then this little Iraqi girl in there, and she was shot in the belly. She had a little baby food jar and had 
looked like a seven millimeter big bullet in there. And uh, she had the bullet sitting there. And but they, these interpreters kind of tell us what they were saying, what we were saying, you know. But the, the kind of came out of it was that she had been shot. I remember she was Sunni or she had, or which one of those two teams that were hating on each other back then. But the other team shot her <laughs> playing in her front yard, you know. It's like, forget how good we have it here. A lot of those are cool experiences that we've got to experience because of the music. Or you know, think back about them sometime. You know, wow, we've seen some stuff. And all because of Beer Bad Ammo. <laughs> or yeah. you know, because of the music. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I don't know why we got off on that. I think it started yeah. with me at Mizemore and it went. No matter where we I go. I wonder a lot. Yeah, no, matter, well, well, no matter where we go from there, it's going to be a hard segment. I didn't take so. my ADD drugs today, so you got me, <laughs> you got me in the raw. All right, so let me just let's change gears, big gear shift. Um, what musicians had the biggest influence on your career? Oh, um, man, there's a there's a there's been a ton of them, but um, man, when I when I saw Del Watson play early on, well, I was still playing rock, and I was trying to do, I was trying to do this blues rock kind of thing, and I saw Del Watson playing. He's playing. Tuesday, Wednesday at the Black Cat down Sixth Street. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, you know, I was writing more and more country stuff. And I was like, this guy's really cool. And then when Dwight first came out, you know, because my dad was a big, huge country fan. And you know, when you're younger, you're trying to, I'm, you're trying to play music to piss your parents off. You know, I'm cranking Van Halen wide open, you know, over my dad's Johnny Horton. He's trying to play, you know, right. And so. uh so I, I never thought country was cool. And when Dwight Yoakam came out, it was funny. He was at your party. I don't know about your party. That was my other best party. Wrong party. I would love to have um, Dwight Yoakam Dwight was at there. my party. Um, Sorry. But wrong, not his rider, because I've heard his rider is really but, uh, tough. But, uh, yeah. And uh, Dwight Yoakam came out and thought, man, you can be cool and country. Yeah. And he was like, so almost outlaw at the time. Not, not like Hank Jr. can't outlaw, but he was just slick. That's really cool, and I loved all the shuffles and stuff. Yeah. I saw I saw Dale at the Sons of Herman Hall. Have you ever played? Did you ever well, play there? Played, back in the they got them all over, but the one here, the, the big one, I've never played there, I don't think so. Okay. I figured you probably played everywhere. Yeah. Point. It seems like it, but I don't ever remember playing there. They do a lot of more of the dance hall bands there, you know? Okay. You know. So yeah. y'all aren't a dance hall band? I don't know what I kind of feel are. like you are. We are a dance hall band that plays. That we still play all the dance halls, but you know, our bread and butter really is fairs and festivals and rodeos and and um, yeah. I don't know what to Bob call us. Christmas parties. In fairness, I mean, when, uh, before the whole this whole scene started, this what we now we call te- Texas Red Dirt. Yeah. When I was I was playing a lot. We were a dance hall band. We played Club Twenty One and we played Cope and all the dance halls in Hill Country. You know, in Hill Country. Every single town has a dance hall. The German, the Czechs, and all those—they all they have their dance halls. That was it. And so we just, we were making a little living playing those. And then Pat, Corey, you know, Pat Green, Corey Moore were doing this, and Roger—they were they were doing the, the <coughs> college, you know, the, you know, collegiate mm-hmm. thing. They were doing they were playing all the college towns and everything. And my whole goal is I wanted to be able to do both because back then you had to pick a team. Are you playing with the dance hall guys, the country guys? Or are you playing? Are you going to be a, a college man? You know, and I kept thinking, there's got to be a way to straddle this fence. You know, I just kept working both sides of the fence, so it was really cool to see those two kind of meld over the years. And 
I was trying to get both of them together. Tried to get them up, <laughs> and they kind of just turned this one big thing in front of us, you know. Okay, and, so we had the biggest influence question. What artists do you look up to the most, and why? So you got to keep me on point. I'm, <laughs> but yeah, I've got my own uh, challenge. That's why I've got I, my teammate over there in case I stray. There's there's a a ton. And, you know, Willie's always I've always used Willie as a role model. You know, that's why for the first twenty till COVID, I net ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time I would go out every night and meet and greet after the show, the birch booth. And I learned that from Willie. So I saw him at Stubbs early, early on, like in the late nineties, and he's stood everybody's bus and just signed autographs and it's nice to sign our stuff. And and he did that for years and years until finally, I think he just couldn't keep up with it. But he was just so good to his fans. And I kept with the rock, rock world. I kind of keep their, treat their, I was like, rock bands treat their fans crappy. It's like, no wonder, you know, you're going to no, have you, a lot of longevity here because yeah. you're not building a fan base. <clears throat> you were just living off of MTV and radio. And so, and that went away, you know, when grunge came in, I saw all these hair metal bands all of a sudden go, bye. You know, I work in right. 7-Eleven because, you know, they didn't build a fan base. They just, they were gent- right. manufactured by the machine. And I was like, man, I want to build it. Like, I want to be like the Jimmy Buffett of the country, you know, or the Grateful Dead of the country where they have this huge fan base and you can tour it forever and nobody can take it away from you. I think you do a great job of that. You actually remind me of Willie in that way because when I was a kid in college, of course, we would hit every Willie show. And afterwards, we would go straight to the bus or or his vehicle or whatever, and we would talk, and he would talk, and he would stay there, and he'd play, sign a guitar, invite you on the bus, all kinds of really cool stuff. Now, he would maybe sometimes have some people around, but sometimes he... Sometimes he wouldn't. He actually kind of broke my heart one time. We we went and he was, I, I think I think he was with Annie at the time, or he's still with Annie, but I think Annie was going to drive him home or something. So I'm going, it's the very first time I see his vehicle. Growing up in the 80s, and he was so big, and he's still big, but I just always thought he drove a pickup truck, right? <laughs> he's going, it was going to be an old Ford. And he it's a Range Rover, and it broke my heart. <laughs> what do you drive? I know what you drive, but what Ford do you? Ford F-250. I'm a truck guy. You're a truck guy. And, uh, yeah. I like old Ford. I've got a 1950 Ford F-1 that totally restored. That's my baby. Very similar yeah. to the Ford truck you came up here in. Yep. Yep. So this one has <laughs> one more firepower. That, I can't wait for us to open that up. He's got the, the Ford Lightning. Yeah. We're, we're trying to get... All, we're on artist time. And, and by the way, just so you all know, I've got my all-time best friend, Clifton Finley, here. I've got... One of my teammates here. I've got my godson here. I've got my best friend's wife. They're all out here, so they're, everybody's trying to keep us trying to keep us on task and trying to get us here. And one thing's Kevin saying: Can you get us over to the interstate and punch it so we can see how fast this goes? I'm like, I so that's it. where we're going from here. I've just got to safely get him back where he can play. You better not turn it and get us out of jail. <clears throat> no, I mean we're we're okay here with the McKinney Police. I feel I feel sure. I'm pretty covered. All right, how many songs have you had that have? Top the charts or charted with the Texas charts, if you know. We had something in the teens. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, I always remember that that girl was our 10th number one. I think we were probably 15 or so. And, uh, you know, it, we've had a heck of a ride, you know. We've been very lucky, very how, blessed. How do you, you know? define success? That's, that's, that is a big question. And I feel 
successful. You know, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, glad you made it. Or somebody would say, man, you never really made it. I'm like, well, to me, this is what I shot for to make a good living playing songs that I write, you know, and have a great band and play when I want to play and don't play when I don't want to play and don't have to take crappy shows if I don't want to take them, you know, just doing, I get to do exactly what I want to. So I feel and, like I'm winning at this game. Absolutely. And I think everybody has their different, to each some guys it's going to be to gross hundred million a year and, you know, be a national guy. And to me, I love the fact that I can go make a living on the weekends. I can go home and go fishing and get on my tractor and I can, you know, I've been on my skid steer the last three days, burning brush. We had a huge brush, we had a huge storm. He'll catch your oil back because we're still cleaning up from that. But I enjoy that stuff, you know? And so I'm doing, if every day I get up and do something I enjoy, right. that's, that's winning, right? Have you ever had trouble remaining grateful? Like when you see an obviously less talented artist that whether they're pushed by a big record company, by big money or whatever, or they're, or, or maybe they're just, they're young and good looking, but for whatever reason they make it nationally. Is it ever hard kind of remaining grateful if you see something like that, somebody that's not as talented, make it? I mean, you see it all the time. And, you know, it, the fact of the music business is that motivation is king. It's such a hard, competitive, dog-eat-dog world. I mean, look at all the, the great vocalists normally aren't you know, the ones that really make it. The ones that make it are decent vocalists, and they have incredible drive. I mean, look at the look at the charts. Look at everybody's on the charts. So there's not even a lot of virtuosos in there, but they're, they're workhorses. So if anybody has a hit, you see them out there? They work their butts off for it. I mean, there's there's no there's no way around it. You know, back in the day, you get a little radio flash. You know, you get lucky. But now, you got to get out there every day and get on social media, and you got to tour your butt off. And you got to there's just anymore. You just don't see that anymore. And usually, the guys that that kind of get you know, lucky or comes easy to them, they don't normally last very long. You know. So I was getting ready for this, and I was looking. Obviously, I know you have daughters, and there was something I saw about your daughters going to see Taylor Swift, and one of them is just almost crying. Oh yeah, totally. Um, what when you look? I'm sure you can take something from every artist, but like when you see Taylor Swift, and she she brings that kind of emotional reaction to your own kids, like what 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 do you take from that? Man, just the power of and her. She's also she falls right in that what I said before. Not the world's best vocalist. She's the world's best worker, and she works her ass off for the last twenty something years. And it's been cool seeing her go from nothing to what she is now. You know, true story. When the, I'm not talking about all the record labels we're going through. You know, we were between Equity and we were lined up over at um, Big uh, over Disney. And um, in the middle there, we went and had a meeting with Big Machine, which at the, the time they just had Jack Ingram and his girl named Danielle Peck. And we went back to the, the head guy's office, and uh, Scott Borchetta, and he had this picture of this little blonde haired girl, you know? And uh, I was like, it's like, this girl's gonna be huge. And played us that, that first song, Tim McGraw, one of those songs. I was like, we both thought they were like, that's going to go over like a lead balloon, you know, because right then you had 
all the blonde hair girls you remember Lambert out, you had Carrie Underwood coming out, you had all these pretty blonde girls and we're like, this girl's seventeen, how's this gonna work? You know, we're like, we just we actually just joked it off when we got in the car. And then we kinda ate our ate crow on that one, you know. They she got there and she works her butt off, you know. She out there every day hustling, working, yeah, doing what it takes. Mm. And people pick up on that. I think she, that people, that, you know, genuineness of her. Yeah. That that's why her those girls love her. My other girls, like her daughters, those are Janice's daughters. You're talking about my stepdaughters. They grew up going. She has pictures of them from when they were like four. Every they been with her with Taylor Swift all these years. She had pictures of them like they were. Her, her 16 year old went and she was four at the first one so she was she put in this collage of all of them going all the years and they they grew up with it they love her just probably like you with Willie yeah that's your, your that's your jam it look it's close I mean Kevin's here Willie's right there I'll take close. this down here to Willie. <laughs> so speaking of is there a is there a really cool time when somebody like brought you on stage and you did a duet on stage or maybe you cut a duet any any cool stories like that but i've been blessed with getting to do the duets with willie early on and we did all the tequila and tijuana and then you're doing george jones which I, by the way i have to stop you morgan by the way it's morgan's ninth birthday today oh is it yep so my oldest daughter is she coming she's coming she's coming so her favorite song you know was burnout and she told me last week, um, and Christina said, you need to ask her what her favorite song is. Her favorite song now is All the Tequila, and she's been singing it. So, a girl. Taking vocal lessons, and now she's, she's founder set. Kevin Fowler. So. You got us back putting that in the set now. We rotate it through some. I, how the heck that got out of the set, I don't know. I think it's such a cool song. Love the song. Good melody. It was never a single for us. It was kind of the early years. And there's a bunch of songs we're looking at doing a remix of like songs that a lot of the songs like this never got a chance you know so, never got never got their chance to go to the plate and bat so know? is that because so Willie Willie comes in and cuts a version with you is it because of that that you couldn't release it no I think it does get lost in the shuffle oh you know you, know, you, you okay. put it back then you would put it like a couple singles a year okay like, you know max it right. takes a long to work singles radio back then now you're not working on radio people you'll see people put out their new record, they'll put out one song a week, every week for every couple of weeks for two months, you know. Mm. So, so you open it's a totally different machine than what it was back then. You know? Yeah, yeah. You opened for Willie a couple months ago. What, what was that like? Yeah, we played play them many, many times over the years. He's always so cool. So cool. I can tell you a bunch of Willie stories, but we're not on. <laughs> <laughs> not on camera. <laughs> okay. So this was different, though. So in, And I, I mean, I've gone to over 100 shows over the year, almost 100 shows. Um, and he and he's sitting now, and that's that. And I, we all age, and we 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 see our parents and grandparents become less physically able. And you know, he's like a fourth degree black belt or something. But he's sitting now. Can can you could you see a big difference? And he sounded great. He did he, great. He was sitting down. It was a knee. Tony Rue and him at Outlaws and Legends in Lubbock. I know what show you're talking about. Yeah, and he sounded great. So did you do a duet or no? No, we just. Got just him saying on what is him. I'll fly away. He does oh, yeah. a big thing at night and everybody gets up. Right. I'll fly away, oh lordy. That's that's him. And yeah. just it's just he's, he's just always been good. 
Oh, it's been good to us. I feel like you've made it if you've gotten a chance to sing with Willie. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Janice, my fiance, she she was going through some cancer a few years ago, and and Willie, Willie got her probably medicated. He he did way more than doctors can do. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, let's. I, I'm going to give you artist names, okay? And I want you to give me a word or a sentence about to describe them, okay? Not three paragraphs, but just a little bit. Roger Krieger. My buddy. Yeah. Me and Roger, you know, we started off at the same, same time, you know, class of 2000, we call it, you know. Ray Wiley Hubbard. Ray Wiley, the godfather, for sure, you know. He's not. He's my neighbor there in Wimberley, and I'll see him down at the cafe or whatever, you know. He'll just so Ray Wiley doing this. Oh, thing. he lives in yeah, uh, he lives Wimberley. In oh, God. Literally Delana. 10 minutes from me. Robert Earl, Robert Earl King. Man, he he was the forerunner. You know, he was the guy that this whole scene we have now, you know, I thought Pat and all those guys and all of us just took what he had done and took it to a whole other, turned to a genre. But he was the first one, you know. He, Asked me in this scene, he was the first big star in what we now call Texas Red Dirt music. He was the guy, you know. And everything kind of, everything kind of went from there. There never, never been a Robert Earl. There wouldn't have been a Pat. There wouldn't have been a Corey. And there definitely sure wouldn't have been a Craiger because all those guys they came from his that from seeing him that tree. the Green Hall, you know that. You know. So yeah, then, that we wanted, the music business, Texas music business wouldn't be what it is today without Robert Earl, Pat Green. My boy, my troublemaking buddy. Yeah, so you was it was your birthday. What was it? May early? Was it early May? When's your birthday? We just played him last weekend, but no, but my, when's my your birthday? birthday? May eleventh. Yeah, I just I saw him put a post out and celebrating your birthday, oh, and boy. I didn't know y'all were if y'all were good good buddies oh, yeah. or not. But everybody in that everybody in that class, you know, everybody's good very, buddies. Very good buddies, you know. There's no okay. tension that I know of anybody. Everybody, you know, Pat was really big. You know, when he really blew up, you know, they, they'll saying a rising tide floats all boats. And so Pat blew up, you know, and Pat was actually one of the first ever regional internet stars, you know. He was huge, you know, regional. Like, you didn't have regional, huge regional stars like that. There wasn't a playbook for what, what Pat went through, you know. He went from playing Green Hall and Barry selling out to selling out the Houston Rodeo. And those are things that like, George Strait done and Garth Brooks done. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, the timing was perfect for what, when Class 2000 came out, is that, you know, internet would just come along. You know, all of a sudden now you got these things called websites and you had uh, MySpace and then, you know, and then Facebook and we had all this. And that was the first time also that radio, Texas radio embraced regional music. You know, Pat, legitimize that some, you know, legitimize and, oh, we play Pat Walker, well, we can play, let's try Corey or Kevin or Roger, Jack Ingram or, you know, you know, Charlie Robinson. Right. The late Jerry Jeff Walker. He's another, and he's right there with that whole crew, the whole 70s outlaw movement that, you know, talking about Ray Wiley and talking about Willie and, all the Texas guys back then, you know, in the Armadillo World Headquarters, you know, yeah. what that what that bar played, you know, in the history of Texas music, you know. And, you know, it's always, it's, we're just carrying on a new wave, you know. You know so he's the one that I, you, 
he's the one that you don't always hear great things about him as a person. Um, nice guy? Was he a yeah. nice guy? Oh, I met him at Sugar Town at one time. Really good oh, friends with Django, his son. Of okay. Traveled all with Django, went to their house in Belize, written songs down there, but I never really knew him well. Never knew him. Okay. By the time when we came along, he was very, very old and grouchy. <laughs> all right, last one. <laughs> Didn't hang out a lot. <laughs> last, I never saw him. Last one, David Allen Coe. Honoring. You know, we've done a lot Do of shows know? with him. Really? And uh, he, he falls right in there with that whole group, you know? Yeah. Probably, old, probably take him in a bar fight back in the day. Want him yeah. on your team. Well, yeah, you don't want him on your, <laughs> on your side. Then they stab you with a Coke bottle or something. All yeah. right, this is a question from my lovely wife. All right. Being a musician out on the road all the time, how do you make a relationship work? That is hard. That is hard because especially, you know, right now, you know, my girl, she works Monday through Friday. I work Friday through Saturday. Get home on Sunday, have a few hours, and she's back to work. It just, it's really hard. Somebody that, you know, she's a professional during the week. I'm professional on weekends. And if I take a weekend off, we just shut down the whole business. So there's 12... 12 people total that'll get paid that week. So it's really hard for me to take off a weekend, mm. you know, unless you keep them on salary and it's really hard for us. You know, that's one thing about the music business is you can't build it up and sell it. All my buddies have contracting businesses and they're dentists and they're doctors. So they build up their practice. And they sell it and they peace out. I'm gone. Well, when you're a musician, you can't sell can't it. Do that, yeah. Nobody can stand in for, you know, you can fill in, fill in. You must be present to win. <laughs> you know, you got to be there. The whole time, so that's that's the only drawback I've ever seen of being a lifelong musician. But also, I don't consider it working. You know, an hour and a half a day we're on stage. That's I do that for free. It's the travel that you got to pay people for. But, yeah, but it's 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 hard to make when you, come, you know, have two people doing two different careers. It's yeah. tricky. All right, we're winding down. A few more um, favorite city in Texas. Ooh, no. That's hard. I have to say Wimberley right now because I'm living there and so deeply entrenched there. But man, as in deeply I entrenched, as you're, you're the you're the king I'm, of real estate in in the city of Wimberley. No, it's got a few places there. They're good ones. But uh, man, I love a green. My favorite place in the planet. I've been. I joked that, that one day I'll live in downtown Green. I was going to Southwest. I love and just hanging out there. It's hard to pick a favorite because. Man, I still love to go to the Riverwalk at times. I still love to, I still love to go to Fort Worth and stay down the stockyards and just yeah. hang out and have a steak and stumble over the white elephant and have a beer and a burger. Mm. You know, there's that's one thing about Texas. It's so vast. It's you know, all the way down the valley. You know, it's one of the best Mexican food. Mm. And we're San Antonio South. You know, very Mexican food up north. Panhandle is a totally different beast. Yeah. Amarillo, you know, where I'm from, it feels more like Oklahoma, but it's still Texas. Yeah. So I was at Southwest, and, you know, obviously it was before cell phones were cell phones. You had maps, and I didn't have a map, and I took a took a wrong turn. I think I was heading to Wimberley, maybe, but anyway, I wound up went right down the road seeing Green Hall, and that's how I, it was the best mistake I ever made. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, boom. <laughs> you turned right down Hunter Road. Indeed, indeed. Indeed, to Green Hall. Um, all right. What achievement are you most proud of? Oh, man. Probably my kids. They're, they're pretty awesome. And yeah. your grandpa now. My grandpa, twice over. My oldest one has two. A little baby boy, 
two-year-old. Oh, oh, he's three. So we have a three-year-old and a 10-month-old little girl. So, uh, yeah, it's, they're all different levels. You know? I'm proud of the music, and, but, you know, the little bit of, the little bit that we played in the history of, of Red Dirt music, you know, just be a part of it and be a fly on the wall to see what, what it's turned into. You know, I'm proud of that. We were, we were lucky to be there at the right place at the right time and, and to see it growing what it is now, you know, and the, the guys now, now they have the internet. We didn't have it back then. Mm. It was just starting. And just to see, yeah, me and Parker McCollum were watching Pat's show there night and talk about all this stuff going on and everything. It's so awesome to see now that the tools are there. If you got the music and you got the talent and you got the hard work ethic, that you can take it to what these kids are doing now. Cody Johnson, Parker, Co. There's Cody Jinks. These guys have taken the Texas thing and have made it so freaking huge. Bigger than any, bigger than Pat ever did, bigger than anybody ever did. Robert Earl and the tools of it now. You can really, you can really reach an audience now. You got good music. You know, there's nobody standing in your way. You can go out there and work your ass off and you can, if you want to take it to the world, you can. If you want to keep it regional, you can. Yeah. But, but seeing what you know, where they, these guys are taking it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Pretty cool deal. So let's let's end with the future of Kevin Fowler and the and the Kevin Fowler band. So I know that there's some '80s covers that you're working on. Is that fair? '80s, '80s, yeah. '80s and rock. I'm, and I've worked so long on it now. It's kind of disinformation. Just enchanted with it, no! so now. But we're gonna put we're gonna put that out uh, uh, along with some other little special things to try to okay. kind of prime the pump for the next original record. So just you know, so I've kind of been out of the recording stuff for right at three years now. This is as long as I've ever been without a record. So, so um, we're about to get after. It. And the weird thing is that I haven't put out any music in three years, and last year was one of my highest grossing years of my life. And it's like maybe I have, maybe I. Have. I'm getting closer to being my goal than new Gary P. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so songs on the on the cover um, album. Give us a few of those. Oh man, we did a White Snakes. Here I go again, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's it's, it's country. It's a train beat uh, tonight. What we're we gonna play tonight? We we did a really cool version of the Rolling Stones' Honky Tonk Woman, and it's a real country song now. It was always kind of country flared with theirs, you know, country rock, but. We made a shuffle out of it. We we put it put a Dwight spin to it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> at our man, party, you did. Um, did you do drive? At we did our drive with the cards. We played that. I think at your party. That was wonderful. Um, did a great version of that. And what else are we really digging on? An old Thompson twin song called "King for a Day." If I was king for just one day. I don't remember it. Oh man, we did a really cool version of that. It should probably be the single. So, yeah, who knows? I mean. We put out Fat Bottom Girls. All those college kids thought it was my song. <laughs> so, so maybe they want all these old stuff. I think it's new original music material. So is there a date to go in and cut these songs? Uh, which one? What, the, Either the covers or well, the, the covers are all stuff? cut. They're cut. They're cut. Yeah, they're cut. So when's it going to be five released? Or, five or so, four or five of them are done now. And, and we're going to be timing that out with the release of the, when we got the new original stuff ready. So. So yeah, it's ready to go. It's maybe about four, four that I know are ready to roll out. 
So any, um, and I hate to talk deadlines, but like any any timelines, like well, when you're predicting, next, probably the next six weeks or so, we'll start putting that stuff out. We've got, got to time it off and get those going, kind of prime the pumps for the for the music. So, so the new music you have not gone in and started writing yet. I wrote some. Okay, and uh, I found a couple that people sent me that. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe get, you know, I'm always slow to cut outside material, but okay. But it's a good song. It's a, no matter who wrote it, it's a hit. So yeah. got a couple of dozens in the pile. Nice. Mm. Here we go. The next chapter, where will it lead? How long do we do this? You know, and I think, you know, talking about retiring, Willie says it best. If I retired, I'd just play a little music and golf. So I'm retired now. <laughs> And I don't think you retire from jobs you enjoy. I can't imagine not ever playing music, you know. Sure. People walk away from their jobs and go, bye. I don't know that you ever get out. I guess you get some control. It's like a mafia. You never get out alive. Right. But you got some <laughs> control on over how much you play, I guess. Yeah. we got more and more control of that now. Yeah. And if it's not a – I'm not going to go play some crappy gig in Nebraska now. Yeah. I just play the stuff I want and we don't want to do it, don't do it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that to me has made it. Nice. I've enjoyed it. This is fun. Anything you want to get off your chest? No, we I feel like I just went through therapy. <laughs> I'm rubbing ground. All right, there you have it. Of, got a lot of dirt on me in one little... I know, I know. One little 60-minute time. I know. Once we get off camera, we'll get the, we'll get the real dirt. So... Thank you to Kevin Fowler for joining us on the 24th episode of the Burris Law Life and Friends podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank you, buddy. We'll do it tonight. Yeah, that's right. You and Charlie. Yeah, fun. you and Charlie are going to get after it tonight, Chris Knight. Going to get it opened, and uh, we're going to have a great time in the city of McKinney. It is perfect. It is perfect. perfect. It could be like 20 degrees cooler, but... Yeah. Um, but it could be hotter. It, it could. Yes, it, it could. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>